Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we take a casual stroll through the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. Yes, indeed. Good to see you, Tim. Good to be in the studio with you, Danny. Party on. Party on, Danny. I wanted to drop some knowledge on you this week. I got uh, a curious newsletter delivered to my email that I did not sign up for. Mysterious newsletter, check. (laughs) But it had some interesting information about bread. Hmm. You're familiar with bread, Danny. I think I'm familiar with the category. <laughs> You're familiar with pumpernickel bread, right? I am, though it is not my favorite bread. No, it's it's a pretty polarizing bread. I, I don't really care for it. Either. I like a pumpernickel bagel. I like the crackers, but the bread itself, not for me. <laughs> but are you familiar with how pumpernickel gets its name? I am not. Allow me to enlighten you. All right. So originating in Germany, this dark and hefty bread combines rye flour, molasses, and sourdough starter for a dough that bakes at low heat for an entire day. Many American pumpernickel bakers speed up the process by using yeast and wheat flour, which makes for a lighter loaf that reduces or altogether removes pumpernickel's namesake side effect, which is flatulence. (laughs) (laughs) German bakers of old acknowledged the bread's gas-inducing ability with an unsavory nickname, pumpern, which means to break wind, and nickel for goblin or devil. Put together, the translation reads as devil's fart (laughs) i think that's my new favorite bread i think so too uh so it's a reference to how difficult pumpernickel can be on the digestive tract huh i've never experienced that side effect i don't i'm trying to think now like the the troubling thing is that's shannon's bread of choice (laughs) every time we go to kaufman she's getting turkey on pumpernickel Uh, and we always drive home with the windows down (laughs) (laughs) and the wind being broken that's right uh all right well switching gears up a little bit uh this week's guest uh is a guest uh who we've tried to have on the podcast numerous times we've we've begged pleaded seriously we've harassed him yeah we've harassed him he's one of our favorite people uh he is someone who has helped to elevate chicago's bar and culinary scene um he has literally been involved with just an incredible amount of well-known spaces, uh, legendary places. We've got first place, Danny's Tavern. Then we got Mia Francesca. Then we got, you know, stuff like Big Star, Publican, the list goes on and on. Uh, It was truly an honor to have him with us. He's a great guy, very generous with his time. And a great interview. And a great (laughs) interview to boot. Uh, So without further ado, Here's our conversation with Terry Alexander. We <laughs> talked about this, and we were supposed to be having a cocktail while we did it. <laughs> I know. And then I, you I scheduled don't know me I... at ten thirty. That kind of hurts. I know. It's not fair. <laughs> I, I was expecting you to bring breakfast margaritas. <laughs> or no, the Contarito. Those days are gone. That's my yeah. favorite cocktail. Oh, my gosh. So, Terry, where are you from? Uh, Omaha, Nebraska, born in 1962. Whoa. Yeah, there nice. you go. Love that yeah. experience. Yeah. How did you get here? Um, I graduated um, from Lincoln, Nebraska, and I was going out with a girl who went to uh, the Art Institute in Denver, and she said, if you don't get out of Omaha or Nebraska now, you never will, and you're going to get fat and sit around a barbecue the rest of your life and marry your high school girlfriend. So I listened to her and um, came up to Northwestern for graduate school. Oh, cool. What did you go to graduate school for? Journalism. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I went to Medill School. I looked at a couple other ones, but I came up here not knowing a single person, and I really loved Chicago. I thought it was such a great city. It was. It wasn't too far away from my family and friends. Going to the either coast, um, and I liked the excitement of Chicago. And again, coming from Nebraska, it was a, a big change for me. Did you always like? Was Medill your number one choice? It was. There was a couple schools. Um, what was it? Um, North Carolina had a really strong program that I at Chapel Hill that I looked at. Because Medill's like the best program in the country. Right? It was. It was. Missouri has a really good program, but I, I, I'm again. I wanted to get out of Nebraska, so I didn't know if Missouri was that big of a change. And then there was um, Columbia, New York, but I was a little. That was too big for me. I thought so. So did the rest of the people that you left behind, they get uh, fat they, and they did. Trust me, I go back and I'll drink 12 beers with them out on the porch every time I go back. Yeah. So is there some culture shock when you moved to the city? Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Coming from Nebraska, we had, it was the first time, I, I know I'm, I'm going to sound ridiculous, but I, I had never flown on a plane before I came up here. It was when my family, when we would go on vacation, which was uh, everybody get in a car, make some sandwiches, and we would drive down to Kansas City for Worlds of Fun and a Kansas City Royal baseball game, and then you got back in the car and drove right back. So we we did not do a lot of vacationing, so coming up to Chicago the first time was pretty wild for me. Came up here with some friends, had some fun. Um, yeah, it was it was quite a, a shock. M- moving up to a White Sox country. Yeah, and well, but back then it was the Cubs. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but, it still is. Yeah, and then growing up, were you always like into into food and stuff? Not at all. I had no intention ever to be in restaurants or anything like that. And back then, there wasn't really this quest for food there was not this restaurant culture or bar culture nothing like that when i was growing up i mean so you just zero. fell into it ass backwards 100 percent uh when i graduated um from northwestern i was trying to get a job maybe as a copywriter and at that time the agencies just weren't hiring so i moved down from evanston to chicago um with another friend and just walked around and tried to get a job and I got a job in a in kind of this big goofy bar, and I, I still remember the first day I got there. And I've never worked in a bar or anything about it. Um, I got there, and the guy said, "Okay, I have a job for you. Come on back here." And he led me into a back room, and he told me to blow up balloons. So there I was, <laughs> with with the master's degree from Northwestern, and I was blowing up fucking balloons. <laughs> twenty five or twenty six years old. So. But it was a job. I had rent. I had, you know, the the student loans to pay, so I had to get a job. And was this a daily occurrence, the blowing up balloons? It was just a special occasion. Uh, Yeah. So I graduated from that, (laughs) but not much higher, let me tell you. Um, So from so I was working there, and actually, I was really lucky. It was a really goofy bar. It was a big dance bar um where was it it was it was on arm it was a place called t-birds you trust me you guys have never heard about it um it was like on armitage and something and the thing about it now it's a pause or something it's for it's like an animal shelter hmm. it, it, it used to be enormous yeah i'm trying to place it what's the cross street uh armitage like lincoln Clyburn. park yeah okay mm-hmm. like Clyborne. yeah, yeah. Like, okay got yeah. it oh exactly. yeah yeah it exactly. used to be this gigantic mm-hmm. and this wall came up oh my god it was so so goofy but i met some of the nicest coolest people in my life yeah so because of that 
I was super lucky to run into all these people and make lifelong friends with them. But I was a cocktail waitress and I wanted to be a bartender, of course, because that looked so much cooler than me walking around, you know. Um, So they wouldn't, they said, no, you're too good of a cocktail waitress. (laughs) You're stuck in this job. (laughs) So they said, you're not going to be a bartender. So um, one of the girls I was, we, at that time, I moved up here with just another friend and then met a couple people at this bar and they moved in with us so there was four of us and then another friend moved up from Omaha so then there was five and another girl from um, work moved in with us so there were six of us living in this place and it was super fun and everybody worked you know in in bars and stuff and got home at five in the morning Um, but so I went with another girl and I'm like let's I need to get another job and we were walking around downtown and she said let's apply at this place called Scoozy so um, I went in there, and she didn't get hired. I don't know why, and I did. So mm. that was another, that was kind of my first restaurant job, but I got to be a bartender. I never bartended in my life, and this place was insanely busy. Yeah. And these were all, like, professional, you know, uh, servers and bartenders and stuff, and I just kind of slid my way through that yeah figured it out learned on the spot yeah well back then it was it wasn't it wasn't what you're you're pouring at your bar or anything it was you know vodka tonics and a glass of Chianti that's what I did yeah so it was easy for me to kind of and again down there I made some amazing friendships that really helped me on and when we did open uh, Mia Francesca a lot of those people came with me so and this whole time that you were learning about the bar and restaurant world, were you thinking in the back of your mind that you'd return to journalism somehow? I was saving money to open a coffee shop in Omaha. Okay. How about that? Because I, you know, back then in Wicker Park, you know, going to coffee shops, I thought that, man, this is the coolest thing. There's Urge Overkill over there. There's, you know, there's some Naked Reagan or, 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 you know, Red 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 Meat, those guys sitting around. So I'm like, I'm going to open a coffee shop. Omaha doesn't have that. My brother, you know, lived in Omaha. And I said, okay, I'll save the money. You save some money. You run it. I still want to live in Chicago, but I'm going to go back. We'll, we'll do a, a coffee shop. So I was saving money to open a coffee shop. Whoa, did that ever happen? It did not, like most of my life story. <laughs> not yet. No. Uh, yeah. So um, at Scoozy, uh, imagine this, I got let go for drinking on the job, huh? What? Wow. Yeah. And my best friend down there got let go for bad attitude. But um, he should have had a drink. Yeah. The people, the, the actual two people that let us go, um, Carl and Casey Eslick, Casey put together the best staff I've ever seen. She was an amazing woman that ran that place. And Carl Siegel has gone on to to do just incredible things. So I still see both of them. I still, you know, say, you fired me because I was drinking on the job. (laughs) Were Um, most people drinking on the job or were you? Most people around me were because I was was a bartender in the service service well, so I was giving everybody drinks. Yeah. Um, Very generous, Terry. Yes. You're still a pretty generous guy. So then um, one of the guys from the Goofy Bar T-Birds hired me as a bartender for a college bar in the day. So I, I started working there, and then some of the guys from Scoozy got me an interview at um, Berlin, the club yeah. on Belmont, which really at that time was, I thought, 
just such a groundbreaking bar. It was, it was, it's not, I mean, I haven't been there in years, but it was really, really tiny. And you walked in, it was all this black light and stuff and just anybody or any, anything could go there. It was, it was, it was really far ahead of its time. And, um, I got in front of the owners and for some reason, um, I was lucky enough to get hired there and I got three or four shifts there and that's where I saved all my money. Yeah. That was it's, the most lucrative gig. It, yeah. And, and back then we were making, you know, at a, at, on a good shift, not at Berlin, but other places, if you made a hundred dollars, you were, you're like, this Living is solid, yeah. solid mon- Monday. And then when you go up there and you're making two and $300 and being the low man on the pole, in totem pole, the other few bartenders were really crushing it. And now that's, I, I can't imagine what the kids are making now, but yeah. back then saving that money. And then I picked up another gig um, working weekends with another one of my friends from the Goofy Bar at um, a place called Elbow Room that had live rock music. Yeah, yeah I've been to Elbow Room. So I, I had six uh, shifts in the day at a college bar. And then I had Friday and Saturday at this rock club. And then I did four shifts at this alternative dance club. So you were always exhausted. I, back then, you don't really get that tired. I, <laughs> I just had to remember what to wear. You know, you didn't want to kind of mix your clothes or yeah. something. It'd be a little uh, a little different. But um, no, it was it was a lot of fun. And, and you know, it, when you're excited about where you're living and w- with people and you go out all the time and you just see new things, you're really excited and sleep is really the last priority. It, yeah. It's, it's over. It's, it was, it wasn't special to us back then. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. So there I'm saving all my money to open a coffee shop. And then my friend, Michael Noon, Oh, Michael Noon. Yeah, oh my God. I, man, I, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> so he was running the college bar that I was Whoa. working at and he said, Hey, um, a friend of mine, Peter Nelson, wants to get rid of he's he's just he wants to get rid of his bar and he's had some kids and and you know what the lifestyle just isn't for him anymore and uh the bar was called danny's tavern and back then we would go to it it was an elvis presley um kind of a like a tribute no it was they played like uh, they, rockabilly? It was kind of a rockabilly uh, thing, and they had a best jukebox in the city, and it was just like two rooms, back room, you threw darts. And it was a really, really cool bar back then. I, I still think, you know, in the in the late 80s, uh, Wicker Park, what, what was going on in that neighborhood was super cool. The bands, the bars, everything about it was, was you know, that's, that's really what drew me to Chicago was that era. Um, so Michael asked me, um, would you ever think about, he knew I was saving money for the coffee shop. And he goes, would you ever think about owning your own bar? And I'm like, oh my God, I, have, I, I drink too much right now. The last <laughs> thing my mom and dad want to hear from me is I'm owning my own bar. And I'm like, no, Michael. This, he, and, and Michael doesn't drink and stuff. And, and, he, and he, you know, he's such a, a great man who, who I love dearly. He's just like, ah, come on, we can do it. We can do it. We had no business sense. We never, never once had I ever thought, I really want to have a bar 
in the third largest city in Chicago. And, and over, you know, in that neighborhood, there was nothing going on. I mean, you see it now and it's, you know, it's kind of like Logan Square 10 years ago. It's just, it's just not happening. And you're like, you really want to do something here? But we took the plunge and decided it was $60,000 to buy the bar and, you know, kind of fix it up. And that literally maybe I had maybe 20,000 Michael had maybe 10 and then we borrowed from family and friends anybody you know $5,000 here $2,000 there just anything we had to beg borrow and still we did all the work ourselves my family came up I still remember you know you had friends from Berlin friends from all these places there were painting chairs outside in the street you're you're fixing stuff you're painting the walls and, and you literally you didn't sleep for a couple weeks to get the place open but it was some fun times back then and you know michael's model was look at if it doesn't work we can always get a job bartending we'll be fine yeah that's cool and was danny's busy when you first saw it like when peter was still involved Uh, it was it it was had people there but again you know 30 40 people a night that was you're fine it's actually a pretty similar story because i don't know if tim knows this but michael noon sold us our first bar so there's yeah. like a parallel. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. 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 So Michael Noon, uh, my partners, Chris, Andy, and Mandy, uh, worked for Michael and Ross and Desiree, and they owned Streetside, which is what became Scofflaw. Uh, so very similarly, wow. and although I was not directly talking to Michael like Terry was, but <laughs> Michael was talking to my partners, and he was like, yeah. you guys should buy this business, <laughs> and you'll make it work. See? And similar situation, <laughs> yeah. like Streetside, was, it had some people going to it every day, but it wasn't you know, uh, wildly successful at the time that we bought it, but it was very similar. Like we did 100%. everything ourselves. Yeah. Michael Noon will talk you into anything, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I guess I never really thought of it that uh, way. Uh, um, cool. So you guys did all the work. You we reopened did. it. Yep. And I had, uh, absolutely not a penny to my name. So I lived there, physically lived there for, about a year, year and a half. Was there before. were there apartments above or there apartment? was, but we turned it into part of the bar. But there were couches, so you just went back and wow. we had to wake up. I mean, we we woke up in the morning and we swept and mopped. We stocked the beer. There was there was two of us and one other friend from Berlin, uh, Jeffrey Turner. There was three of us that w- were there every day for a couple wow. of years. That's incredible. Do you have fond memories of that time? Without a doubt. Yeah, it was it was some of the most fun fun times of my life you know you had your own business your friends are coming in and and i you know in college i would i we we would have some parties and stuff so i enjoyed that aspect of it um and we just kind of turned danny's into a little party i mean again to date myself uh there were we we couldn't it wasn't we we didn't play records back then and we just didn't have the time so we played cassettes um, CDs weren't even around, so part of my job was queuing up the cassettes every day. So when you're busy, you, you could, could go take one it. tape to the other. That's wow. that's what we're doing. <laughs> and you had your you had your soul set, you had your rock set, you had your funk set. So you kind of knew what the mood of the crowd was, and then you went with it. Did you know music pretty well then? Well, I mean, well enough. I, yeah. I, yeah, I enjoy music so yes i did but okay. yeah i uh, not like the dj's now but we would we could you got we, yeah, yeah yeah and you know you you just had fun with it and people would bring you music and you'd play it you know it was it, it was just a really good time 
Yeah. So, so what did the sixty thousand get you? Was that the liquor license, the business? Everything. It wasn't. The, was it the building too? No, no, no we didn't okay. own that. Okay. But we we had to fix it up. So we what our idea was each room there was you know of course artists were all over that neighborhood and we gave a room to five or six different artists and they would do whatever they wanted to the walls and then every now and then you would change it but then we had to go out and get furniture we'd go down to maxwell street one of one of my friends worked at a different five o'clock bar so we'd go over there after work have a couple of drinks with him and then at five thirty-six in the morning you'd go to maxwell street to try to buy some furniture for the bar and that's wow. literally what wow. we did have <laughs> you been to maxwell street lately i no, it's been so, I have, it's been a few years for yeah me, but that's always fun you could it's like Sometimes there's a, a tub of old batteries, the but there's, stuff, sometimes you find gems. The the stuff we would go down there and <laughs> see, it was just, it was some magical times, you know, walking around at six in the morning, you know, after having a couple of drinks and just, you know, there'd be old blues bands playing and, and the grills going outside and you're just kind of walking around looking at vintage stuff and you're like, well, that'd be cool. We bought an old, um, an old pulpit that we made into a bar upstairs and then we found like, i didn't know there was an upstairs oh yeah oh yeah and then we found like five out of the 12 stations of the cross so we put those on there and stuff you know you just kind of had fun just finding stuff and and people really helped out to everybody in the neighborhood bring stuff over and stuff so it was a great time did you guys see pretty immediate success there uh no we did not (laughs) (laughs) no we did not tim i wish no i mean you had you it was it was as slow at the start but again it's just every every penny we made just went back to the house Mm -hmm. it wasn't like michael kept his tips i kept everything we swept into you know, into the in to the till. So if friends came, you you didn't charge them. They left a twenty that just went to the house, and that's that's we just saved our money that way. Yeah, How your long? cost of living was so low, you could kind there of was the, it, literally we ate bean burritos <laughs> every day. That's, there was only Mexican restaurants in Wicker Park, so that's all you did. And how now, long till you turned a profit, or till you felt not super stressed out? Uh, it um. I don't know if we ever felt stressed yeah, out. It, it was, like you did not. yeah, <laughs> because we, I mean, rent was probably back then a couple thousand dollars and yeah. you, you know, you made that and you, you bought your beer and stuff. So there wasn't this really high tension pressure on us, but probably after a year or so, um, we felt pretty good. It was, it was getting, the neighborhood was building up. We had, we had like $2 Tuesday that everything was $2 and that really started building and we went upstairs. And when we first had Danny's, um, we did a little backyard bar and we did the upstairs bar and then we did a deck, an outdoor deck bar. Um, I, we might have to cut this out totally illegal. <laughs> Everything about the place yeah. was illegal. No one came over to check. Yeah. It, it, there was no yeah. building permits or anything like that. But it kind of had that vibe to it. It, it, it was everything went back then you could yeah. you could stand outside with the cool. beer you know it was it even was, the layout was like insane it, it just looked like a big house, a house party, party. yeah that, that's it what was it was so cool and and that's and without the city really breathing down your neck that we got away with all that stuff you know so it was super fun and and so we saved every penny um and we we still kept cleaning but we we were saving now our next big idea instead of a coffee shop we are going to do a live music venue that was our next thing michael and i were going to do um of course joe shanahan um 
had the Metro, but they're really, I don't think Bruce, I, I think the empty bottle started right around the time we were thinking about it, and it was not the location where it is, but there really wa- weren't that many independent music places, so we thought we were going to do live music. Um, was, the, was the Vic o- open by Berlin? The at Vic the time? was, yeah. So there was like the <clears throat> Aragon, the you know those bigger places. Mm-hmm. Riviera was open. Um, so those places were all around. But we thought we could do a smaller one, get some cool bands in there. So that's what we were thinking about doing. And at this time, I was living with two friends from Nebraska, Dave Canner and Carol Watson, and she she was working at a, a an Italian restaurant. I can't remember the name of it. And she said she was working with this really talented chef. Would we ever be interested in doing a restaurant? And we're like, ah, I don't know about that. But we all got together, um, Michael, myself, Carol, and Scott Harris. And we really liked the idea of doing something like that. So that was our first venture into the restaurant world. So before that, that was in 90. We opened Danny's in 89. Um, we opened Mia Francesca in like '92, so before that, I, we had we knew nothing about restaurants, zero. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic, from fine dining to a corner cafe. They've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. How did the Mia Francesca opening compare to like your process at Danny's? Uh, it actually was very similar. <laughs> did you we, live over there? Because we had no money. No, I still live. We had no money, so we did all the work ourselves too. We we actually had a small construction crew, but Scott had been in restaurants, so he knew he knew the restaurant. Carol knew front of the house. Michael and I knew the bar and the the office, the back of the house. So that's how we were going to do it, and. We put it together on a shoestring budget, and that place did get busy. Everybody at that time, Italian restaurants were charging just a ton of money. So our idea is went in, we were going to undercut everybody. We were going to do little tiny glasses of wine for super cheap and just, you know, again, try to have a lot of fun every night. And it worked very quickly. So we were lucky there. Wow. So it's 92 Pretty impressive. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still going, and that, that's yeah. good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so at the peak, like that started, the the Francesca's thing got big. It did, and so. and that that um, that was really a, a, a great um, opportunity. Scott really took that idea and moved on with it. Um, he did a great job. We loved that place. We did a second one. Um, but I'm going to can I tell you a quick fun yeah, story? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. So um, we, I was up there and it was Sunday night and literally wherever I was, Michael was at the other place. So I was behind the bar um, on a Sunday night and um, Bono and The Edge and Julia Roberts and some Kiefer Sutherland or something like that, they walk in and they have a reservation and and this is like 93 so they get this table i'm like oh my god that's and julia roberts no one even knew who she was back then Hmm. so um but you knew bono and the edge and 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 that band and you're like oh that's pretty cool yeah you know 
I never was one of those guys who walked over and introduced myself and, and stuff. So I just let him go. But I called Michael. And I'm like, oh, Michael, you, you can't believe this. The table we got in here tonight. And we were laughing about it. And uh, so mm-hmm. I left or they left. You know, I got done and, and I left the restaurant. So the band and Julia Roberts went down to like one of the blues bars hmm. and and they asked, they said, where do you guys go to the bartender? And the bartender said, there's a place over in, in Wicker Park called Danny's. And he sent those guys over to Danny's. So I, I know nothing about this. So the four limousines pull up over at Danny's on a Sunday night at like 11 o'clock and they all walk out of there. And you're asking me. How busy we were. There's like six people in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they walk in and and Michael knew they were over there, but he didn't he had no idea they're gonna walk into, you know, at eleven o'clock on a Sunday. So they come in and they start drinking Guinness and Jameson and they're there until like three in the morning. And literally Michael's playing music and they're dancing in one of the rooms. And there's like <laughs> one guy sitting at the bar, like just watching what's going down. So it was, yeah. you know, there's some funny stories. No cell like phones that. to blow <laughs> Not, up the party. We, the, the crazy thing, we have no pictures really. There's a couple pictures of us at Danny's and stuff, but now you have yeah, 400 pictures mm-hmm. of every day of your life. And it's sad. You don't have those, those, you know, fun times. Makes those memories even better. Yeah. And, and you can exaggerate a little <laughs> bit more, too. Yeah. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah, it that is a great it, it story. It wasn't Julie Roberts. It was uh, Rosie uh, O'Donnell. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't Bono. It was yeah. Uh, yeah. Ross Perot. Yeah. <laughs> My 90s celebrities. Yeah, are, uh, I need some, need some work there. All right. So, um, what was your brother? Like, what the hell? No, he was totally fine. Okay. No, yeah. Well, Good. We want to check he on was, him. He's he like, where's that yeah, money for yeah, that coffee shop? No, no. He, yeah, he's all good. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so at what point do you uh, intersect with the one-off guys? So, um, so again, we did a couple more uh, Francesca's. And then at that point, it was it was Scott, Michael, and I. And it, it was a great learning experience to continue to build one restaurant over and over again. But... I thought, well, maybe I might try something different. Scott was going to continue to go in the suburbs and do more of that. And well, sorry, real quick. Yep. How many Francescas are there now? Uh, you, you, uh, it's a moving target. Yeah, there is. Uh, I, think I just there think was, the people listening, like it got very big. Yeah, oh, there's, just there's, like, there's two. Um, of them. Scott grew it, and there was uh, California, Arizona. Um, uh, Wisconsin, North Carolina. Were there was you still probably involved in this whole process. I, there was there was a different. There was West Coast and Midwest. I was still involved, um, but I wasn't active really. Yeah. It was more. I'd step back, not as just an investor, but I really wasn't there for the day to day. It was Scott and Michael okay. driving me a Francesca at that point. Yeah. So it got to the point where Scott wanted to continue. It was doing well um, in suburban locations, and you know I was I was more excited about. Chicago and doing yeah. different things. So um, Michael actually came up with the idea. There was a bar called Wild Cherries that we would do um, Soul Kitchen. If I don't, you guys are still too young for that. No, too. Yeah, I mean that was in '95. Yeah. So um, that was a really fun project. We did that, and then I started to do a couple other um, one-off locations with different uh, friends. I had met. Uh, my not my wife at that time. I had met Kristen, 
um, we were going out and we w- we wanted to do a couple places. It was more, you know, DJ driven restaurants and stuff. And again, I at that time, I don't know the restaurant culture. It was not like it was today. It really it really wasn't. Let us entertain you was big, but there wasn't the bulk is and their hogs. There wasn't restaurant groups. It was more independent ones or you had your downtown restaurants and then you had your independent ones. And I was kind of doing some of those with some successful, some not, you know, you, you, you would, you would win some and then there would be ones that just would work for a couple years and they didn't. And financially you'd take a hit and just keep going. Um, so that's, that was, I was doing that. And then, um, I think Donnie and I, Donnie Medea from my partner at one off, we, we would run into each other at, at various restaurants or, or, or places. And I really, was really impressed with what him and Paul did at Blackbird. Um, and we, we were just friends and stuff. And he uh, was friends with the gentleman named Joe Brill, who I thought was the best DJ in the city. He, he was incredible. Um, they did a night up. Joe and Donnie did a night that we would always go to. It was, I can't even remember, Ooh La La. Yeah. Um, we would go up there and... I love Joe and Donnie, and we got together and and had a drink and talked about ideas and said maybe we're let's do a bar, but we're gonna do a bar that's a little different. That's going to be kind of a listening bar where it's all the focus is on the DJs and the music, and we wanted to put it somewhere kind of interesting. We did it on Chicago Avenue. It was called Sonotech, and. Um, that's how I first kind of touched base with uh, the one-off, you know, the, my partners at one-off. So that was Donnie, but not Paul? That was Donnie. Uh, it wasn't Paul. Paul would stop in for a drink every now and then. I I, I knew Paul and those guys. Um, so that was I, working with uh, Donnie and Joe Brill over there. And then I had my other projects. Um, one of them was, it was... Del Toro. There's just so many places <laughs> no, that you're involved so many in. That's just No, yeah. so we had uh, Del Toro. It started out as Mod, and then we changed it in Del Toro, a Spanish place, and that's where Violet Hour was. So, again, I was working back then. You, you know, you, you, I worked seven days a week probably for 25 years of my life. Uh, um, but, again, it was fun yeah. until you have children, and then all, <laughs> yeah, then things tough. change quick. So, um, Did you always have that work ethic, even growing up? Uh, my dad, you know, my, my dad kind of made us get a job right away, and I think that was a really good start that I always had to work. When school was done, I had to get a job. I had some of the craziest jobs back then, but, you know, it was fun, and... I always worked. You had to work through high school, through college, and that's just what I did. Yeah. So, what was the craziest job from back then? Uh, we, uh, my best friend in sixth grade, Mike Cortese, and I had to vacuum Sears, that store called yeah. Sears. Yeah. So we would get there at <laughs> six in the morning, and and this is like sophomore year in high school or so. So you go out, and you know back then you probably got home at two in the morning. We had to get up at six. You could not miss work. So we'd go there. And you'd punch in, and if you ran upstairs fast enough, you could go to the candy counter and, like, grab just a (laughs) wad of lemon drops or things like that. (laughs) So you got to eat candy while you vacuumed the store. Yeah, Yeah, so that was fun. Um, 
So where was I? Oh, one-off. So, okay. Sorry to derail. No, that's good times. Um, <laughs> we, you also could take 15-minute naps in the changing rooms, too, which <laughs> quite often. Um, it's a pretty good gig. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if, you, if you worked hard, you could vacuum the whole store in like 20 minutes, and you had to make it a four-hour job. So <laughs> Stretch it. Think about that, yeah. all right? Um, so, okay, Sonatech. Okay, we're at Sonatech. Um, and so Sonatech opens in 2003. Thank you. I did not know. I've got, that. I've got okay. your, your okay. full list up <laughs> here. You. Then Del Toro uh, in 05. Okay. Yeah. So there we are. So Del Toro was, um, was on its last leg. We were going to change that up. And, um, Sasha up in New York had milk and honey. And I really loved that place. One of their, one of Sasha's first bartenders was Toby Maloney, who was, um, our oyster shucker at Soul Kitchen. Okay. So when I would go up to New York, I would run into Toby at whatever bar or whatever club I was there. Toby was behind the bar, and and my wife and I we we would see him, and just he was he was magical behind a bar. He could entertain the most diverse group of people you've ever seen, and he was making cocktails. And and back here in Chicago, it was still you know cranberry and kettle one and soda it was it was the craze had not hit and up there milk and honey this tiny little cocktail bar where they're chipping their own ice and they're they're squeezing their own juices it's just like what what you know yeah mind-blowing yeah you you've just never seen anything like that now all the bartenders today would could not do you know you know speed they couldn't pour a cocktail quickly so it's the world has changed so drastically so Toby Maloney was up there, amazing. So we had um, Del Toro, we were closing down, and we were kicking around some ideas, and Kristen and I went up there for a vacation, but I had called Toby and his business partner at that time, Jason Cotton, I'm like, hey, let's get together, have a drink, I I have an idea, and he goes, oh my God, this is great, I have an idea for you too. So um, I, I met with those guys in an Italian restaurant basement in Chinatown, and they pitched their idea of a cocktail bar in New York. And I'm like, let's do it in Chicago. New York, I'm not going to come up here. It'll be easier. I got the space. We'll do, we'll do it at Violet Hour. So went back, um, talked with Donnie. He was in, our manager over at Sonotech, uh, Peter Garfield. He wanted to be involved. So Jason and Toby moved in Chicago for a couple months, stayed with us, um, and we built Violet Hours. So that was the five of us. And I think that was, at that time, Donnie and Paul, when we were doing Sonotech, um, they broke ground on a VEC about the same time. So Donnie and Paul and Edward had Blackbird and a VEC. I had Sonotech. And we decided to do Publican together. So that was... That's the first one-off. That entirely. was probably, you know, you could take it back to lineage to Blackbird, but the first project we all did together was Publican. Wow. Publican was a huge swing. I mean, such a big, yeah. impressive space, uh, aesthetically different. Back then, again, that neighborhood had zero restaurants. There yeah. was, there was, it was a meatpacking. You, in the morning, you would get to work and they would be hosing down the blood off the street. There was, yeah. there was no, no yeah, restaurant. Like Moto and Red Light, I yeah. think, were the two. And Red, red Light, ones, right? what um, Randolph Street did come before us and Kleiner did do some really marche in those places down there. He really broke ground much earlier than we did. That was on, on, um, randolph street Mm -hmm. um we came in there and 
Donnie and Paul found that location. We're walking around and found it. Um, Such a cool space. So, yeah, and and we locked into a really great lease there that, you know, when I see some of the rents in that neighborhood now, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, I'm not, it's like 15 times higher than what we ever paid. Were you always trying to do like, you know, long leases 25 year we did, leases we, we always know. that was a big thing for us we always wanted to lock it lock into what's long like leases. your standard ideal lease uh usually 10 years and two five-year options okay. is what we try to do yeah, yeah that's kind of been our mo it's just then if things don't work out like it, it has happened with me a few times then you can either sell the space or reconcept it and you still have you know, time on it. Plus you keep it, you keep it at market value. So you never, they never, your landlords can never really jack, jack the rent up so much that forces you out. But we've been really lucky with our landlords. We've kind of, they've kind of been our partners in all the deals. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and as much as there have been myriad successes, um, you know, we've had a failed concept. You had a couple, it seems like. Uh, More than a couple. You're, <laughs> you're being very sweet right now. I've had many. No, but yes. what, you know, for me, you know, and for us, the partners, we've spent a lot of time thinking about what went wrong. Like in the case of, let's say, Del Toro, for example, mm -hmm. what do you think were some things that happened that and could it have been avoided or do you think it was? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I. Actually, you learn so much more from your mistakes, and you know it's crushing mentally and and financially. But you just pick yourself up and you keep moving on. Of course, there's you look back and you're like, who who would ever come there? That is the dumbest fucking idea I've ever had. <laughs> you know, we we tried to mix. You know, we always would mix DJs with restaurants, or you know, we Andrew Zimmerman, our chef at Del Toro. An amazing man, an amazing chef. He has sepia. Yeah. Um, his food was, we didn't need to do anything else but his food. But of course, I tried to push it where, you know, after 11 or 12, you brought a DJ in and it was more a European vibe and stuff. And it just, it, you just don't mix those two. You, you, I, what, I, what I have learned is you do try to do one thing and do one thing really well and try to, instead of trying to do five different things, yeah. mediocre. It's a good lesson. I think I'm also just as I sit here and listen, I'm impressed at your ability to like kind of forge on and like once something doesn't work out super well, you just like on to the next. Well, the it's, next. It's, it's hard for uh, like me not to just dwell. You got to let it go, Danny. Yeah, it's tough. I, yeah. Going back to Michael Noon back in 1989, if it fails, we can always get a gig bartending. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, what I've always and and honestly, Money, you know, of course you need money to pay pay your bills, but it, that has never been a driving force for me. It was always more as a creative out, you know, just to do do interesting things. Um, so I think that helps out a lot too. That you're you, you're not trying to do the biggest, most profitable places. You're you're trying to do more interesting places that you would be proud of. So that kind of helps too. Yeah. But when you do some of the ones that no one really wants to go to, financially, it's kind of difficult. So, but yeah, of all the things that you have, you know, had a hand in, which one has surprised you with its success the most? Oh, um, well, I think Big Star at how busy it got so quickly. But I, I probably the proudest, you, you know, it's 
when they say, what's your favorite wine? You really don't have one. But I would have to say, you know, Danny's was was a really meaningful. Um, you know, it, it was my first business. Um, I met my wife there. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I sold her a Guinness or I gave her a Guinness. <laughs> um, that, you know, I met my wife there. I met so many friends there. It, it was really, it got us started in, you know, what, yeah, that's what you, made you who you are. It really did, and and that was when that out of all the businesses we've closed, when that closed, that was probably the most. That that was a tough one for me. It was, yeah, it was. It, it was really, tough for us too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we I had tried, good nights yeah. there. Yeah, uh, we had awesome. a holiday party there, and for we our staff. we we tried to get the we tried to buy the building. It was just it was such a sad story. Um, that took the longest probably to get over. You yeah. know, and, and especially the funny thing is we live about a block away. So, and this is during COVID when all this shit goes down. So, you know, you're taking walks all the time just to get out of the house and you're walking by your old bar and mm. it, it was, you know, some tough times. It had a great run though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like 33, 34 it's years. Impressive. Yeah. It's, you, and you look back and you go, that's, that's amazing that you kept something open that long. Absolutely. So, yeah. So you're proud of that. Yeah. Well, a testament to uh, Violet Hour's success, you're saying you had the option to do it in New York or Chicago. I remember wow. sitting at Maison Premier in Williamsburg talking to the bartender, and I'm like, you know, where do you go when you travel? And he's like, I told him I was from Chicago. Uh, he goes, well, Chicago has the best cocktail bar in the uh, country right now. It's Violet Hour. Yeah. So you guys killed it. Yeah. And that's and, and we, Donnie, Peter, and I, we will give all the props to Toby and Jason because we we could never have done what Danny you guys do or what what the, the 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 real stars behind the bar did, but they, Toby, just I mean he got this this crew of misfits, and I love that opening <laughs> team, and 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 I talk to most of them still, but no one knew how to bar. There were food runners, and there was you know all kinds of different people. There was no bartenders, and he literally worked them in shape in three or four weeks and it was yeah and and again talking about how were you busy right out of the box oh my god we were so slow people were like what hmm. what the fuck you know you couldn't stand at the bar <laughs> wow. you couldn't get a kettle one you couldn't yeah. get a belvedere it was just like you could eat everything There's people wanted yeah. we didn't have yeah well, what, what was the, the tipping point i think for that place other people from restaurants and bars came yeah, in so it was very very slow but you had all these other people that were like something is going on here and they would come in and you know how word spreads that's that's because we we struggled at the start it was it it was rough yeah i mean that has also stood the test of time a very impressive place yeah so. yeah yeah it's but you know we we talk about it Every cocktail bar that opens now, my God, they look like a spaceship from, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Blade Runner and stuff. <laughs> and and when the lights are on at Violet Hour, it's like, ah, we got to put a little money into this place. Mm-hmm. We got to start painting again and yeah. stuff. You know how that is. I, you're, I, I was walking by downstairs and Scofflaw still looks great, but... Thank Some you. of these new bars, you're like, oh my god, those their glasses cost more than our rent. Yeah, you we know? were just. I mean, we are. We have our soft opening for the Heavy Feather tonight. The reopening. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm just like reordering coops, and just the prices of the coops are like double what they were when we opened yeah. it. You know, in 2015. Yeah. And it's just like, 
How long Scoff Law been going? Scoff Law uh, opened officially in 2012, so over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, almost 11 years. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and look at it's ten and, this month. And look yeah, at yeah, same and, time. and look at the neighborhood over here. I, know. I mean, can you believe this? I know yeah. it's crazy. Joiner's podcast is brought to you by Party Can. Party Can is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural gluten-free it's 12 drinks in a single can and guess what that can actually floats you can take it to the beach the pool on the boat camping hiking to the game everywhere you go it is recyclable and reusable it's a party in a can and everyone's invited party can is available at multiple retailers around chicago around the country and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend and now back to our interview so did Big Star pop up where it was because you got, I mean, Violet Hour was first. Were you guys looking across the street and saw the okay. gas station? Um, so again, being in that neighborhood for so many years, Tim, um, I uh, Buddy owned that place as the Pontiac. Right. And did you guys go there? I did, think it once. Before yeah. my time. And, and it, was, it was exactly like Buddy. It was, you know, it, he was a great man, but... You know, you'd always see him on Friday driving his car to pick up beer. He'd run out of this, run out of that and stuff. But that's just what how it was. And it was a super charming place. But you you would look at it and go, oh, my God, there's so much potential. And that's, it was that gigantic outside that he, they really didn't use that much, you know. Um, but, again, it was a super fun place. And we loved it. But never in a million years did I think we would get a chance to go in there. So... Um, my friend Carol, um, from that I met in in college, that um, we lived together now and then. Um, she had she owned Milk and Honey on Division Street, and right. she opened a little place called Chipolina, where Doves yeah, is. Yeah, right. sandwich shop. That was a yeah, great and, sandwich shop. You know who? You know who helped her with that? John Mannion. Whoa! Oh, I didn't know <laughs> that one either. Mister of the best ratings, John Mannion. <laughs> so, um, so Carol had that little place. And um, the landlord really liked Carol, and Buddy's lease was up after 20 years, and there was some kind of fighting between Buddy and the landlord, and the landlord went to Carol and said, hey, would you ever be interested in going into the Pontiac space? And she's like, oh, no, 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 that's way too big for me, don't want anything to do it. And she goes, but um, my friend, I bet, would, and she walked, literally walked across the street and got me, and I'm like, Oh my God, we have a chance at the, at this space. I'm like, this would be amazing. So we talked to the landlord right away. And the thing is, at that time, everybody's playing rock music. So in my mind, I'm like, let's do something with country and that type of music just to get started. And I really wanted to do bourbon and a whiskey bar. And my idea was barbecue. And, 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 Everybody, we're kicking it around, and Paul and Donnie and, and Peter and I were involved, and Paul and I still don't know who said, let's do tacos. He said, I said it. I swear I didn't know. And it was, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't say it, Paul. You said it. And he's like, no, I didn't. So we don't know who came up with the idea for tacos, but we did, 
and we we ran with it and you know he worked paul worked for um rick down at frontera grill how you know 20 years ago so he he had that that background of mexican food i didn't know that yeah that's that's why it's i mean really authentic because paul loved the cuisine he cooked it for years at topolobamba and and frontera with rick so we had our idea we're going over there and again for the neighborhood my big push was we're making every dollar schlitz we're going to do two dollar shots everything's going to be super cheap and we're just going to have this tiny little window you sit at the bar and if you get hungry you just go and order from the window and they're going to take the guacamole they're going to take the avocado press it right there make your 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 guacamole for you right there and we we really thought it was going to be like a little bar you know, and we love the rainbow with their big, with their bar. And that was like, okay, we're going to have great music. We're going to play all, all vinyl again here. And we're going to sell cheap drinks and tacos. And it's going to be super cheap. And literally the, f- the first day we walked over from Violet Hour and Paul's like, where, the guy, where have you guys been? I need help. Because at that time we had two bartenders, no door staff, no servers. It was like, you walk in, you get a drink, you go up to the kitchen window and order your food. Oh my gosh. So it was, we, we had to change that idea real quick. Was it Rubel and who else was Michael Rubel. And he was really, he came up with the whole idea of, of, you know, the whole, um, idea of, Whiskey, the uh, um, Bakersfield, that kind of outlaw country oh, and cool. stuff. So he gets a ton of credit for the uh, Michael Rubo and a couple other people from um, Violet Hour made it across the street. But then we just hired friends over there, and it was such an amazing. You know, your opening staffs are yeah. always. Was it? Did Eden? It was like Eden. No, Eden was still no. Okay. Eden, Eden was running the Violet Hour. Okay, got it. Yeah, her and Robbie were running Violet Hour at that time. So Michael Rubel, Ben Fassman. Oh, Fassman. Yeah, yeah. and Mark Helner, who had started working with me at a place called Acno, in like, God, in like I don't know, ninety seven, ninety eight, and he ran Danny's. He was uh, one of the managers at Danny's, so he became the general manager over there yeah so we had a lot of uh, an incredible staff but that was i mean it was it was it was busy and cash only it was cash only yeah. <laughs> i remember that switch <laughs> yeah. yeah and and when we would have to pick it up and you'd have to you'd bring it home and you know my wife's just like this has to, you we cannot have this <laughs> you know for a three-day weekend in the middle of summer she's like you can't be doing this yeah so it, it was some fun times but you, that was our industry hangout every sunday night we would work you know sometimes at perennial i'd work like friday night saturday morning saturday night sunday morning and then be done or maybe have to work some of sunday night and then i remember just taking the bus <laughs> uh, down like Armitage or whatever, and then walking down, and we would all have our kind of like our Sunday night rendezvous at Big Star. We'd take over a booth, ideally, and it was those are the best times. Yeah, and sitting outside, yeah. you know, on a nice night, you you just can't beat that. So, yeah. so good. Big Star yeah. was our stop. Usually, if we come in, fly into O'Hare, if we go on a trip, fly into O'Hare, Shannon sure. and I would get off the Blue Line, go to Big Star, and grab a meal before we yeah. go home. That was yeah. like our tradition. You can stop at Doves, too, now. Back around yeah. it. Yeah. I <laughs> love Doves. Yeah, Doves. I, I was telling Danny, I'm like, I'm like, every time I go to Doves, I run into Terry. Mm-hmm. I was at uh, Marisco's on Saturday. I saw Paul there. Yeah. I went to PQM on Sunday. I saw Donnie. Like, yeah. you guys are still, we still in the spots. We and, still try to get there, you know, as much as we can, but 
Mm-hmm. Is it like just an honor system? Like you just expect each other to be in the spaces or there's a schedule? No, you kind of know who's going to be where, but there is no schedule. Yeah. Do I, you guys have fixed meetings every week? We do. We, you know, once, you know, when we've been at this long, now your day, instead of being in the restaurants till 11 and 12, now your day starts early, you're in meetings, you're, you know, deciding on so many different things. So we do, our, our life is one big long meeting How now. many meetings do you have with them every week? We, we have, we have our um, one-off like partner meeting twice a week, okay. you know, then there's right now Marisco is, is, you know, still relatively new. So we're over there once a week, but then they will be like, oh, let's, you know, we're going to do a beverage meeting or we're going to do a meeting, just concentrate on Violet Hour or let's do something down at Avec River West to talk about, you know, brunch or so yeah. there's, you have three or four set meetings and then there's probably another three or four that fall into place and then you have your own meetings constantly and then you get invited to podcasts right <laughs> <laughs> so, for the record yeah. we've asked terry to do this podcast so many times yeah and finally just I surrendered think, i think we stopped asking and danny just told terry he had to show up <laughs> we got him um it worked out i i had a question about uh how does when you have a restaurant at the airport Yes. Uh, how does that work? Because there is a publican at O'Hare. Yes. Is that is it licensed? It is. Uh, those are all management deals, basically. So you go out there. Those are all um, HMS hosts, employees. You train them and you you give them your intellectual property, your recipes. You pick out you know the beers and stuff like that, and then you we continue. I think Paul. I think Paul's actually out there with uh, Brian Houston, one of our culinary directors today. And then you go out there and kind of check on it. Okay. So really. it's like kind of like a franchise, I guess. But somewhat. Somewhat. A little more personal. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's all your, you know, it's, it's Paul's menu. It's, it's the cocktails. Eden really was instrumental in those cocktails. It's been changed over the years. But yeah, I mean, when, when the pandemic hit out there, you, you'd think, you'd think, you have a restaurant across the street from Wrigley Fields, and in O'Hare, you're set for life. There's no way those can go down. And guess what? They did. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, there, and you got Big Star at uh, the United Center. We did. Is that similar? We did. Or is it gone? It, 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 it's been gone. We had a three-year deal, and that was more just to kind of get the brand out there. Yeah. Is that through Levy? Do they curate uh, those no, restaurants? I, I think they did, yeah. I yeah. can't remember who yeah. did that. It was just a real quick... It was exciting. We just did it um, more for brand. We didn't make a penny. It was just for brand recognition. I think that's where the nachos were born. It, it could be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I <laughs> think you're right. Nachos. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. But uh, you still can't get them in Wicker Park. I think you have to go no, to Wrigley Field. No, we do. No, we do now. Yeah, yeah. We got them. First, we brought them up to Wrigley, mm-hmm. and then we finally talked to Chris Miller, our, our chef partner over at Wicker Park, to put him there. So before we get to the gratuity round, are there any upcoming projects, things that people don't even know about yet that you want to announce? You know what? I wish I had some crazy idea to, to break <laughs> on your podcast, Danny, but I do not. It's I, you know, when we, we talk about uh, new ideas and, and maybe a couple more big stars. But sometimes you got to kind of let the young kids take over. Yeah. And in my mind, it's, you know, it's. I don't know how many 
more projects I have in me. I would rather stay on top of the ones we do have, spend a little more time with my wife and daughter, spend yeah. a little more time with friends, going out with you two. Maybe you can buy me a beer sometime. Yeah, we owe you, we yeah. owe you at least a beer. <laughs> um, so Any you, beer you want. <laughs> but I don't, you know, I and it's when you're young, you're 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 going to New York, you're going to LA, you're looking at new things, you're you're going to Europe, you're you're all you're crazy. We got to do this idea, you got and I just I haven't had that thirst lately. Yeah. I just think it's I'm really proud of what we've accomplished, but I don't know if there's a lot of crazy ideas left in me. Are you and Donnie and Paul on the same page with that? Um, you know, we talk about it a lot, and and I think we're all Donnie, the the man will be at his restaurant till he's 120. He loves it. That that is is part of of Donnie. So I, out of all of us, I think he'll go the longest. Paul likes to go up to Wisconsin and fish with his wife. So he's kind of, we're kind of in the same boat. But we do have Edward and Peter, um, some of the younger partners. So there's people that will take our place and we won't be missed. We, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I had a couple more questions. Yeah. So at Big Star, it's like a case study on efficiency now. Like you order and your tacos are at your table. Yeah. Well, how did that come about? Well, we at first, that kitchen was too small to really cook, of course. We were cooking across the street at Vibe. Right. I remember the carts going across uh, the, the street. The carts we have, we still have our ice machines, our storage, our dry goods, our office for Big Star across the street. But now we moved into the commissary next to Doves. So that building, next time you're at, at Doves, I'll walk you through it. Cool. So we do, we build all the proteins, all the salsas, everything there. So all those, the team in the kitchen do, everything is prepared. They're just putting those tacos together. Got it. So it's assembly. It's, it's, it's assembly. But that the food comes out fresh. The young ladies still are making the tortillas fresh in the back. But that lineup is all ready to go. They just build those tacos. And sometimes they come out faster than the drinks. Yeah, we yeah. just were there the other night. Yeah, we it's lightning shocked. fast. Yeah. How quick yeah. it was. Yeah. And then my last question. Oh, is there something that you see the new generation of restaurateurs doing that like is there advice you'd like to hand down is there something that you're like oh you know you guys got to slow down no, or i don't hand out advice no you think yeah. <laughs> i am not handing out to any advice to the new kids who probably are probably doing 800 covers on a, on a thursday night no i i have no advice for okay for fair them. enough yeah I, for I, the record terry has generously uh, given his time to me when i've asked for advice of course yeah he doesn't over, give unsolicited advice but he over, does give solicited if i can if if somebody wants to take me out for for uh, a uh, glass of whiskey and a beer. I will, I will talk to them, but no, I think I think the the rest. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you guys go out all the time to see the new restaurants, to see the new bars. You know, Chicago's doing a, a really amazing job. As good as anyone. Yeah, they really are, and with all the different cultures and cuisines we're getting now, it's it's amazing. Yeah, that one guy is trying to eat from every country in the world without leaving Chicago. I think it's Bored in Chicago is hmm. doing that. Yeah. Huh. I, just, I saw it on Instagram. I don't know. I'm interested to see how far he'll get. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I, I, Chicago's in great hands with all, all the young talent here. No, I, I, no, I got nothing to tell them. All right. No. Very good. Yeah. Then it's time for the gratuity round. All right. What is Woo! this? All right. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? 
Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. Put a you on the spot here. never moves as quick as lightning. <laughs> it's usually slower than the conversation. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Terry, what is your death row meal? Oh, man. Um, honestly, it would be a glass of Sazerac and a Guinness with my wife and daughter. There you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay. a, like a Sazerac cocktail? Or no, like Sazerac a Sazerac, rye? just six-year Sazerac okay. rye wow. with the Guinness. All right, great. That would be, I would die a happy man. Cool. All, all right. right. First liquid meal. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> great. <laughs> What's your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Uh, uh, Opartai is really doing some, yeah. uh, Roy Tai is doing Roy great. Roy is so good. Um, what, is, what is the noodle shop on Division? I am so bad with names. They're doing their own. Oh, on Chicago? No, Lopang. on Division. I can't believe oh. I, I'm forgetting about it. It's a pasta shop. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. God, God and I love name? that man. Is it Tortello? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think we I've sometimes. Never been there. Oh my God! Sometimes uh, I will pick up our daughter <clears throat> when she gets off at four thirty and just have the simplest, tastiest uh, bowl of pasta and a glass of wine. Super fun. Right. And really you know, good. it's it's nice to stay in the neighborhood. You don't go out. Yeah. So sounds like, like you gotta go to Flower Power at some point. I no, well. that's I, I really yeah. want to. Definitely. Um all right. What's the gnarliest thing you saw at Danny's? <laughs> uh once we once we uh there was a chicken left. A live chicken. Uh what else? Uh chicken left. <laughs> once I saw on Halloween a a gentleman with a rolling rock hit. I, I don't know if it was a woman or a man, because it was it was dark. Uh, just like one of those movies where they took the rolling rock and hit it over the head and it, it splattered everywhere. Oh, whoa! That, so that is was gnarly. that was pretty that good. Those gnarly. rolling rock bottles are heavy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Heavy Pulling old. green shards yeah. out of your yeah. skull. Yeah, that was oh, good. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> All right, what is your favorite fast food? I, I I really don't eat fast food, okay. and it's not. I got yeah, nothing you and Rick against Bayless. it. Yeah, it's I. We Thai all the time. I don't yeah, know if that's yeah. really Thai fast is food. so good. That's yeah. Tim loves Thai too. Yeah, it's my favorite to cook yeah. too. I, but and, the problem is like a Roy is what I want all the time, but it's not like convenient. It's long drive. Yeah, we, but I, I do it yeah, a lot. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. And there's another. Have you gone to Rainbow Thai? Yeah, Rainbow's great. That's yeah. a long drive too. Yeah, that <sighs> Nem Khao Thad at Rainbow is really yeah. good. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite cocktail? I guess we kind of covered uh, it. My last, for, huh? yeah. yeah. Just a neat pour <laughs> yeah. Sazerac. And a, you said a Guinness? Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. I love a Guinness. Yeah. All right. What trivia category would you dominate? What trivia category I would dominate? What about bands of the 80s? Yeah. Oh, how about AM hits on, on in the 80s? Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, to go back for one quick second, if you had to drink a cocktail, let's say you sat down at the bar, sure. uh, opening days of Violet Hour, sure. Toby's there, whoever. Yeah. What uh, are you asking? I would. For? He would make me anything, and I would love it. Uh, you know, I again going back to whiskey. Uh, an old fashioned is delicious. Uh, Boulevardier. Cool. Is, is great too. All right. 
any gin drink you make me, I'll have to take. <laughs> right, yeah. little scofflaw advertisement there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right. Uh, to what do you attribute your success? Mm, I, I would have to say, of course, you go back to your family. My parents were amazing people, are amazing. My mom's an amazing person, and my father who passed. You know, just having that home life at the start of your life, I think is so important that we're tr what we're trying to do with our daughter, Audrey. And then I was just lucky growing up to meet so many amazing people that helped me. You know, I, I think my, f my family and friends would be probably what I, I would say were my greatest. Yeah, it seems like your ability to network and meet people, especially early on, yeah. really helped out. 100%. I thought you were yep. gonna say Sears. <laughs> <laughs> Those lemon drops with my Cortese. I'm gave diabetes. <laughs> All right. And then, Terry, the last question. What is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Bars or restaurants do that annoy me? Uh, see, I, I'm such an easygoing guy, Tim. Yeah. Really? I, Can't I'm, be shook. No, no. I would say in my, in my earlier days, last call, yeah. Was kind of, that's, a, that's the perfect was, answer. Was a, was a pain. We can but, retire the question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah. So good. Perfect note yeah. to end on. Yeah. Uh, all right. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming Thanks, in, Terry. Thanks, guys. And that concludes our conversation with Terry Alexander. Thanks for listening. And remember to check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod for cocktails as well as throwback photos of each guest. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock and music by Captain Cuts. Check you next week.